Jesus, thank you so much that you showed that love. And as we come today and we focus on pursuing grace, I pray that you would help each one of us in the room to be moved by your act of sacrifice when you went to a cross. As we have communion today, that we would remember that it's all because of you. All because of you. And I pray for everyone in the room. Pray especially for those who've never said yes to you, Jesus, that today would be the day that they would say yes to your forgiveness, your cleansing, deliverance, healing, and let you be the leader of their lives. Pray for all of us now that you would speak to us as we talk about this idea of being rescued and what that means for us, but really what it means for the world. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, that's awesome. So if you'd go ahead and have a seat, that'd be great. I appreciate that. And I just want to welcome everybody. My name is Ron. I get to be one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you and let you know how glad I am that you're here as we're in this series called Free. And the tagline of the series is pursuing the grace life. We want to live in this life of grace that he's made possible for us. And we want to see in this book of Galatians, what that's like. So we're in this New Testament book uh, called Galatians. We've been here for, this is our second week now. And so I'm going to invite you, if you would, to help you out today. First of all, if you'd grab these message notes out of your program, uh, they'll have all the Bible verses I'll use uh, on this, as well as if you have your Bible, I'd love to have you open it to Galatians 1. And Galatians is Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and then you have Galatians. And so you'd be able to jump in there and in you know, chapter 1 today uh, and follow along. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, I'd love to give you one. And so if, at the end of our service today, if you just step into our lobby, there's a bookshelf and it has Bibles on it. You just take one. It's our gift to you. Uh, we just love that you have a Bible in your home as well. That'd be wonderful. So I just want to begin with the theme verse, and we'll get to this in just a while when we make our way through Galatians, but it's Galatians 5.1, and I'm just going to ask if you could read it out loud with me. Okay, ready, go. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What we're saying is, is that Jesus Christ made it possible for you and me to be free, to be set free from bondage, to be set free to know him. And so we're talking about that freedom. Now, Paul says these words, though, because they're so key and so true, so we need to know them. He says, you can be free, but beware, because there's going to be a tendency for you to want to, to even move back into and submit to what? A yoke of what? Slavery. And he talks about slavery. He's talking about your belief that your efforts are going to earn you approval with God. Your rule-keeping, your ability to, to be religious enough, to be good enough, that that's going to keep you in right standing with God. He says, don't go back to that place. And he's writing to people who were from that place, that they had Jewish laws, Jewish traditions, as they're trying to, um, and we're going to you know, reference this later, but to be okay with God as they were following these traditions. So the message of Galatians is this, God has set you free by grace, now live by grace. He set you free by grace, now live by grace. In this series, we're talking about pursuing the grace life. And uh, we covered a verse last week. I had John read it again today because it's really our segue into today's talk in Galatians 1, 4. I'm going to ask, let's read it out loud together again. Ready? Go. 
Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. So we've talked a lot about the gospel the last two weeks. If you haven't been here, you want to go back and listen to watch those services online so you can be aware of what the gospel message is. But that is the gospel message, that Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we would be free from our sins. And he rescued us from this evil world in which we live. So there's two ideas in this verse that I want to just you know kind of lodge in our brains before we get started. And the first one is, is it says that he gave his life. So grace is a gift. I can't earn it. It's a gift that he gives to me. So the first part of the gospel message is that he gives us freedom. And second, it says that he gave himself that he would rescue us. And so, you know, that word rescue, we could use the word save or set free. And so he rescued us from this evil world in which we live. So what Paul is describing as the ministry of Jesus in its essence is this, it is a rescue mission, that Jesus came on a rescue mission for you and for me. Now, don't, don't miss this. It's really key to understanding. In every other religion, the founders or the proponents of that religion, they believe that they are here to teach people uh, how that they would attain perfection, how that they would be accepted, uh, or how to live life. So that's every other religion basically is teaching methods on how to earn favor with a God or with other people as well. But when God describes them, when Paul describes the ministry of Jesus, and he goes into detail about this, he doesn't even call Jesus a teacher. He doesn't even call Jesus a guide. Instead, he says Jesus' primary mission was to rescue us, was to come to rescue. He's a rescuer. He is a savior. Behold, the son is born, and he is a savior of the world. So a couple of years ago, uh, my wife Kimberly and I uh, went to a movie. And so it was one of those times, it was opening weekend, and uh, the movie had been advertised as it was going to be a, a big deal and already talking about Academy Award kinds of things. And so we went to this movie and, you know, we we're thinking, okay, this, you know, just going to see it. But it had an amazing impact on me. Now, it was one of those things, this opening weekend, and we went in, and I think we were the only two people besides two little old ladies, okay, <laughs> who were in there with us in the theater together at this point. So you could already see the writing was on the wall. It wasn't going to be Academy Award worthy, but it was an amazing movie. Robert Redford, All is Lost. Now, it, like I said, it never did make it to be a big hit, uh, but I just want to say that, you know, what made the movie so fascinating for me, it's primarily done without words. So it's just basically one man acting, and you learn from his acting uh, what he's going through and what life was like as he was shipwrecked, basically, his uh, marooned on the sea. And so just a, a warning, just give you a heads up, it's without dialogue, except you'll be walk, going along, and then there's a word that just pops out, F-bomb, just goes at you, you know, right out of nowhere, just surprises the heck out of you when it actually happens, because there's been no words up till that point, okay? And so just a heads up, and there's a couple other dialogue as he's trying to radio people, but other, other than that, it's just without words. Well, Robert Redford has a, you know, catastrophe, he gets lost at sea, and try as he could, he could not rescue himself. So the whole idea, the whole movie is, and with a lot of tension about as he's working his way to be rescued. He floated for days in his boat, and he's going through all of these travails, and of course the tension has to come up a lot during the movie, and then be let go, and come up again, and then let go again, as he continually almost gets rescued, but then doesn't quite 
make it there. And so finally, he has a catastrophe. Uh, the boat that he's in that has, you know, has no motor uh, and uh, the sail is gone, that uh, it, it gets hit by a piece of ocean debris and gets a hole in it and sinks. And so as it sinks, the first, only thing he can do is grab for a life raft. So now he's on a life raft floating around the ocean, and he's doing everything he can to be rescued as well. And then he ends up at a point where he's just desperate. And so he sees a ship. It's at night now, and he's just doing everything he can once again to rescue himself, and it's at night. And so he's got to get attention because he's at the end. And so he lights his raft on fire. And because the raft's on fire, he has to what? Get out of the raft, right? So he has to get out of the raft. And then as he is literally has given up and he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean, he sees a light and something happens. And let's just watch this. And that is just how the movie ended, right at that spot, just like that. And so we walk out, and I'm just going, I just saw one of the best examples of what Jesus Christ did for me I've ever seen, one of the best examples of the gospel message I've ever seen. He was lost. He had done all he could to get saved. He could not save himself. He was desperate. He was at the end of himself. He sees a light. He has moved toward the light, and then as a result of that, he's rescued, he's picked up out of the ocean. And that's the picture of what we want to talk about and this whole idea about being rescued by grace. That's what Jesus Christ has done for every one of us and what he makes available for us as well. For every person who said yes to Jesus, we have been rescued for every person who has not said yes to Jesus, that's what he wants. He's shining a light to you. He wants you to reach up your hand as he's reaching out to you so that he can rescue you. You've done all you can to rescue yourself, and he wants to do that for you. Now, I'm going to circle back to that whole idea at the end of our talk today and just reference it as we close. Now, now last work, I laid the framework for the letter so I just want to you know, get back to that so we can kind of know what we're doing in this book of Galatians. Paul wrote, for two reasons, basically, uh, and one reason was to correct 
of false gospel teaching. So he had established the church of Galatia, and then he had established it on grace. He had left, and then they had some other teachers who came in who we called Judaizers, and they had come in and they said, oh, grace is awesome. It's wonderful. We all need grace. And then you need rules so that you can be accepted after you've received grace. So that's what the Judaizers were teaching, and Paul was writing to just say, no, 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 no. It's all about Grace, And we talked a lot about that last week. I said, if you weren't here, you really want to go back last week and catch it because I, I highlighted a difference between a true gospel and a false gospel. But the second reason he's writing is to defend his standing and his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he had to defend his standing and authorities as an apostle of Christ so that people would look at him and as he was teaching that they would see that he truly was speaking words that had been given to him by Christ. And so in this section, actually beginning you know, now all the way through chapter 2, is it's basically his autobiography. It's a defense that he's given about uh, saying that he has the authority to be the one who's defending the true gospel message against these other you know, teachers who would come around and teach that it's you know, grace plus something else. So he was teaching... Jesus plus nothing equals something. Jesus plus nothing equals something. But the others were teaching Jesus plus something, and he was saying equals nothing. It equals nothing when you add anything to grace. So the gospel of grace is not about good advice for life, but it's about the good news of Jesus. That's what it is. It's not about good advice for life. But it's about the good news about Jesus. Now, I agree that Jesus has a lot of good advice for us, as he was the wisest one who ever walked our planet. So we want to listen to him. We want to read what he said. We want to base our lives on exactly the things he said. But without the good news, it's impossible. So we can't get one before the other. We have to receive the good news, and then we live the good advice. So the next blanks you want to fill in are these. It's not an invitation to do for God. To earn his approval or acceptance, it's a declaration of what God has done, what God has already done, so that because of that, I am accepted by him. Now, I have several books I've put uh, together and are are picked for our pastor's picks that are in the Next Step bookstore if you want to look at them. (laughs) One in particular is called Galatians for You. Uh, It's by Tim Keller, and Tim Keller is a pastor in New York and happens to be one of the leading pastors and churches in our nation, and I would say even in the world, of sharing the gospel message both in, Nash- in New York nationally and around the world. So uh, he has a lot to say, but he did this book on Galatians. And so here's a quote from it that I think will just align with everything I just said. He says this, Christ will do everything for you or nothing. He's either all of your righteousness or none. You cannot combine merit and grace. You cannot combine the two. And that's the message of Galatians. So what I want to do today in the time, by the way, I have this book and several other books on grace that you can look at, and even one on uh, how to have grace in your family life. So you could use that as well if you want to look at those as you leave today. So what I want to do today is I want to uh, walk through this, and as we do it, I'm going to ask you, because this is Paul's autobiography, these are his words, this is his rescue story. So I'm going to ask you as we go through this today is that you would, if you've, said, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ at any point in your life, that you would be thinking of your own rescue story. If you've ever said yes to Jesus, you've ever had that moment where you saw the light 
and Jesus was reaching to you, and you reached out to him and were rescued by him, I want you to think about that story as we go through Paul's today. Now, some of our stories are very dramatic about where we were. Some of our stories, as we think about them, they may seem mundane. They may seem even boring as we think about them. Some of our stories are about this destructive life that we lived prior to our rescue. Some of our stories are full of details on how we ran from God for a long time before we finally were able to say yes to him at a certain point. The deal is this. We all have a story. We all have a story, and in many ways, our stories have the same or a similar theme. And the theme would go like this. My life before Jesus, how Jesus rescued me, or the moment he rescued me, and how my life is different after being rescued. So that's pretty much our story. You know, what my life was like, why I was in the place I was, how I met Jesus, how he rescued me, and then how my life is different now that he rescued me. So I want you to think about your story as we look at the heart of his story, and the heart of his story is all about grace. It's all about grace. So he includes three elements, and I'm going to walk through these, and then we're going to observe communion together. And the first is this. Paul's story tells us that the gospel of grace is God-initiated. It's God-initiated. And what this is part of understanding grace, but it's also part of why his defense of his apostleship and what he's done. So it's not... What he's saying is, is that the gospel of grace is not man's idea. The gospel of grace is God's idea. And so because it's God's idea, you can trust it. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation. You circle that word, revelation. Of Jesus Christ. So that word revelation here is a designation that it was Holy Spirit given through Christ. He didn't go to a class that Jesus was teaching on a hillside. He didn't read a book. It wasn't through a set of instructions or documents. It wasn't through anyone else that he was personally tutored By Jesus Christ himself, he received it as a revelation. Now, I know that's, you know, that if someone says they heard from Jesus, that that's not enough on on its own to say that it's credible, right? Because there's whack jobs everywhere saying they heard from Jesus, right? And so they had a vision, and you should do this. They kill people because they thought Jesus told them to start religions. They start groups, drink Kool-Aid, whatever you want to look at. All kinds of things that people do because they say that Jesus told them to. But what Paul's going to do is he's going to say, this is just one of the reasons why my authority should be trusted. But for now, he's just making his readers know that the gospel came from heaven to earth. It wasn't designed on earth to get us to heaven. So it came from heaven to earth. It wasn't some way to get us in some way to heaven. So the message of gospel came directly from Jesus Christ. Humankind didn't invent it. It came directly from Jesus. It's God's idea It's his initiative. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, Christianity must be God's idea for who else could have thought it up, right? That's what he said. Who else could have thought it up? Now, Paul's critics were saying that Paul didn't have authority. So they were saying, okay, we've come in. We're teaching. 
Paul's teaching who has authority. Paul's saying that we're wrong, and we're saying that Paul's wrong. Well, Paul doesn't have authority because he wasn't ever with Jesus. We were with Jesus, and maybe they weren't a disciple, but they were with Jesus when Jesus was walking the face of the earth. So they're saying, or they were saying, we were taught by his disciples, so we're equal with Paul. So who's, who are you going to believe? And when it comes down to the truth in this matter. So they were saying, therefore, don't listen to Paul. And they were saying, instead of Paul, listen to us. See, the, the gospel of grace is at stake here. This is a big deal. Will it be grace plus nothing or will it be grace plus works? That's what's at stake here. And Paul wants him to know this. His storyline is God's idea. It was God initiated. Grace is all God's idea. We didn't make it up. He did. Religion, which is earning God's favor or actions or belief, that's our idea. But grace is his idea that we would receive that. So Jesus Christ himself spoke. Now, I don't know how that happened. I wasn't there. We don't know. Paul doesn't give us, you know, like that he taught me, that it was all through, you know, just inspiration. We don't know, but we know that when Paul went away, he went away for three years, and during that three years that Jesus tutored him in the gospel message. Now, if you want to read about this, beginning at the end of Acts 7 through Acts 9, so you might want to write that down, end of Acts 7 to the end of Acts 9, you can read about Paul's encounter, grace encounter with Jesus, personally saw him, and then about how Jesus taught him about this whole idea of grace, okay? So it's God initiated. Second is this. Paul's story tells us that the gospel of grace is life transforming. It transforms or changes lives. Now, if you notice on the backside of the notes, it also, both those sets of verses both change to Galatians 2. That's Galatians 1. My bad. Didn't catch that. Went to print. After print, when they were doing the slides, they said, oh, Ron, you've got the wrong chapter here. So I'm just letting you know, we're still in chapter 1, okay? So in case somebody's confused, we're still in chapter 1. So this is what he says, beginning in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. So you've heard what I was like, he was saying. So people know me. People know what I was like. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So he was zealous. He was angry. He saw Christianity as dangerous to his belief system. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So in his system, in his religious system, he was rising and he was becoming the best of the best, the elite. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, would you underline that? But when he, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, underline, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might, might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He says, no one taught me this. Jesus taught me this himself. And so that reason I had you underline those phrases there, when it says, but when he, and then called by grace, the key there is this, is that he was saying, here is what happened, that I was a zealot for religion then, but when God called me by grace. There's the, there's the lightning bolt moment. But when God called me by grace, Paul's story could be summed up that way. 
I was this, but when he called me by grace. And that's our story as well, folks. Every one of us. But when he called me by grace. So he would say, I was the chief persecutor of the church. I had no intention of ever changing because this was part of my rise to stardom. But when God called me by grace, it all changed. But when he called me by grace, we, last week we looked at verse 10. He said this, I used to be a people pleaser. I was living for the approval of man. Now I am a God pleaser. But when he called me by grace, I'm now a God pleaser. So there's the transition. Paul writes in Philippians 3. You want to write this down. Philippians 3, 7 through 10. I'm not going to read it. But in that, he says, what was most important to me because of grace, what was most important to me has now become least important. He says, what was most important has now become like dog poop. So dung is what he's saying there. So it's least important. My values have been flipped upside down. They've been changed. And I've been transformed. Now, we could go around the room today. And I wish we had time to do this. And we could hear story after story after story about how the gospel of grace, but when he, but when God called me by grace, how he came in and he transformed and he changed you and how he's still changing you and he's still showing you his love, but when he, I was like this. I was pursuing this, but when God called me by grace, when he called me to himself, well, then my trajectory of life completely changed. Paul says it was a 180, totally different from where I was heading. The gospel of grace, what it does, it gives me the lens to look back and see how God can use my past for his glory. So, folks, being transformed and rescued is God's work. It's all about what he does as he changes me by grace. So here's what we see. And I just love this part. What we see by looking at Paul. No one is so good that they don't need grace. No one is so good they don't need grace. I hear people say to me, says, oh, look at that person. They're so good. They must be a Christian. I said, well, they only can be a Christian if they've said yes to Jesus. Or... That person would make such a good Christian because they see the way that they live. Or people say, well, God's going to accept me because I'm good. No one can be good enough. No one can be good enough. Paul was deeply religious. He kept the rules, but he still needed the gospel of grace. Second, and this is where I lean, this is where I was found, no one is too bad. No one is too bad to receive the gospel of grace. Paul was deeply flawed. Paul was murdering Christians. He was leading the charge to destroy the church. When Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, he said, why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting Jesus himself. And yet, even someone that bad could still be reached by the gospel. So I was just thinking about this, folks. We need to be careful that we don't put boundaries up about who we think God can reach or not. We say, oh, they're so good. They, how would they ever want Jesus? They're so good. They still need grace. Oh, they're so bad. They're so bad. They're so bad. How could God ever reach? God reaches everybody. And so don't put boundaries around who God wants to reach by grace. That's good news, and that's real freedom. See, he comes into the life of everyone who's willing to bend a knee and say yes to his forgiveness that his son made possible. And so, okay, now... Paul, as he's wrapping into that, he goes on and gives more evidence as to why he would be the, the authority on the message of grace. 
And so he's basically saying here, I got it directly from Jesus. I wasn't taught by the other disciples. I wasn't taught by other pastors. Uh, I, Jesus, my Savior, was my teacher. He says this in verse 18. Then, after three years, so I had the three-year hiatus, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. So he's stamping this by saying, I swear to this. And what he's saying is this. He said, okay, I spent three years. Jesus taught me. I went to Jerusalem to see Cephas, to see Peter, not to be taught about what the gospel message was, but to say, I've been shown the gospel message. Here's what it is. And Peter affirmed it. Peter said, that's exactly what Jesus taught. And then he went to James, the brother of Jesus, and that's exactly what Jesus taught. And what he was wanting his readers to know, that his message was not taught to him by anyone else. It was direct revelation from God. In no way was he informed by anyone else. His message was a direct result of his personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And so he went to Jerusalem to get their blessing on what it was that he was teaching. He went to share with them what Jesus had taught him, and they affirmed it. So the gospel of grace has the power, you want to fill this in, has the power to transform my former life into a freedom life. That's the power. That's the power to transform my former life. As we look at Paul, and many of you would say the same thing, into a freedom life, to transform my former life into a, a new life. So I'll go back to what Paul's storyline might be. Because Paul could write this, because of God's call and grace, I, Paul, the persecutor of Jesus and his church, have become a preacher of the gospel of grace. That's the transformation. Okay, third thing, and then we'll move into communion. Paul's story tells us that the gospel of grace is mission-oriented. Mission-oriented. See, Paul was given a clear and distinct mission to preach among the Gentiles. He was sent to be a blessing to the Gentile world. He was called to love others as he had been loved. And folks, I'll just say this. When we wrap this down to this place, that is our calling as well, those who have received grace. See, what we can learn from Paul is that those who have been impacted by grace, those who have really allowed grace to impact them at the deepest level, if you're at that place, then you would get so moved that you would by what Jesus has done for you, that you would know what your life was like, you would know what that rescue moment was like, and then you would know what, how you're different because of Jesus. You would be so moved that what would happen in you is you would go on a mission to let the world know, you need this. You need this. And shine his light in the world. Verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. That is a mind warper. And they glorified God because of me. Now, this is a big deal. Because Paul was brought up in a system where you lived and followed rules so that you could get the glory. And now he's been transformed. And he's saying this. He's saying, they're not glorifying God because I'm so amazing as a preacher. They're glorifying God because grace is so amazing. 
grace is so wonderful. Saying, because they know that I was the one who persecuted Christians, and now they see that I'm the one who is preaching the gospel of grace and proclaiming it, because they've seen that huge change, that huge transformation, as they look, they say, God must be amazing. God must be amazing. See, if God can change Paul, God can change anyone. He was the best. He was the worst. If God can change Paul, he can change anyone. If God can love Paul, he can love anyone. If God can show mercy to Paul, he can show mercy to anyone. I'm sure that what happened is that people looked at Paul and they knew, they knew who he was, and they heard what he was teaching, and they just said, wow, God, I'm sure that there are people who know me, and they know who I was, and they know where I am now. And some of them would go, wow, God, I bet there's some people who know you, and they know who you were, and they know who you are right now, and they would go, wow, God, look at what you've done. You are amazing. And see, God has called us to share his story. And part of the story is this. None of us could earn it. None of us could earn our salvation. None of us could rescue ourselves. None of us could free ourselves. We're only rescued by God's unmerited, transforming grace. So now, what about your story? Well, see, God takes our life story, and then he makes a complete change in direction. The Bible says he makes us a new creation. And as we are changed as part of being a new creation, what happens is, is that people look at our lives and they say, what an amazing God God must be to make the change in you he's made. Now, just so you know, that takes a lot of pressure off our shoulders when we talk about being witnesses or talking about being lights. So basically what we're saying is, as he changes me and grace moves through me, and now I'm a different person, people will be drawn to the light because they know they're sinking. They know they need him. They know that. And that people say, wow, God is amazing. See, Robert Redford, I'm going back to that story. When he was sinking, actually to take his whole ocean uh, when he was in a boat and he was uh, needed rescued. The whole thing, even when he was thinking, he didn't need, he didn't need someone to drop a book. You know, he's thinking in the ocean. Oh, you need a book. You need to learn how to swim. So I'm going to send you a book on page 35. You can find how to, how to when you're down deep, how deep you are in the ocean, how to swim up. He didn't need an instruction sheet on how to swim. He didn't someone see, read this, and then you're going to be able to swim and save yourself. Folks, information is good, but information is may not be the answer. It's not what people need. Robert Redford needed someone to rescue him. He needed a rescuer. And I'll just say this. There's oftentimes we think that if we can just give people information, that that's all it's going to take. Folks, I'll tell you, the people in our world don't need instructions on how to live. Now, it's important when you come to know Jesus that you'll live a certain way, but they don't need instructions on how to live. They don't need instructions on how to find Jesus. What the people in our world need is for you to shine the light of Jesus and grace into their world. That's what people need. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that story. I want to be part of a place that what we do, our story is, is that we are, here's what I was like, here's how I was rescued, here's how I'm different. Oh my word, I'm never going to be perfect. And then, but God has done a wonderful thing, and isn't God amazing? 
that he's doing this in me. And he can do the same in you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we're going to have a prayer before we move into our communion time. Our ushers can move into place while I'm praying. And I just want to start with this idea of rescue. And uh, as I said earlier in my prayer, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I just want to give you a chance right now uh, that you would say yes to him. And so you would say, Jesus, as much as I understand this, uh, today I want to say yes to the gospel message. I'm sinking. I need rescued. I want to turn my life to you. I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. Uh, I need deliverance. I need healing. And Jesus, I want your grace. You're calling me now. But when he called me by grace, you're calling me now to yourself. And I'm saying yes. I receive you. And God, I pray for all of us now as we have communion that you would draw our hearts to this moment of our story. That now's the moment not for me to think about others, but to think about my story. That as I have communion, I can remember what you've done for me. That this is what my life was like. This is how I met you and how I was rescued. And this is how I'm changing, being transformed, Jesus. And as we come to communion time, it's a time of gratitude reflection, renewal, restoration. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So rushers are going to start serving now, and as they do, I'm just going to ask that you would take a piece of the bread and a cup, and then at the end of the serving time, we'll all have communion together. I'd like you to be thinking about this aspect of your own rescue as we are receiving and as you're thinking and listening and how he rescued you and what he made possible through his death on the cross. And I'm going to come back. We're going to listen to a song while they're serving as well. And then I'm going to come back and we'll all have communion together.
come to this time of communion, think about the Father's love, the grace, what he made possible, what he initiated. What we need to remember is that God's approval of us is not based on our obedience. God's approval is based on Christ's death, that Jesus gave his life for us. 
that he paid the penalty, the sacrifice we couldn't pay. His obedience earned our acceptance and approval by God. As we come, we come to remember that. We come to thank him for grace and what he did for us. I'm going to use Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians as we walk through communion now. Because as he's writing to the Corinthians, he's talking about revelation and how he received it from Jesus. And so I thought it was fitting that we would use that today because Paul's talking about revelation that he received from Jesus. This is what it says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat this to remember him. As Paul was instructing on communion... He said this, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. But then Paul says something else that for me is so, so highlighted. Oh, we've talked today about being the light in our world. He said this, he says, for often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So by you being here today, participating in communion, you are proclaiming preaching, heralding, delivering, speaking about the grace of Jesus Christ and his impact in your life. I don't understand how that works in the heavenly realms, but I just know even in the heavenly realms that right now that his name is being proclaimed because you participated in communion. But as we go, as we go, now that we've met with him today, that as we leave, that I just pray now that our lives would be so moved today by the grace of God, that we would be so eager for our friends who are sinking, who are lost, not to go tell them how lost they are, but to go and shine the light. Here's what my life was like. Here's how I met Jesus. Here's how I'm different. We shine his light in our world. I'm going to ask if we could pray one more time. Jesus, now, as we consider those words and proclaiming you to our world, I pray that you would, for every one of us right now, that you would just help us to think about the way we come across to people. That you would help us to allow grace to flow from us, to be our response in situations and circumstances so that people would just think, wow, 
that God must be amazing that they believe in. Wow. God is amazing. And I just pray that we'd be your light and your witnesses. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.